This is the sound of absolute certainty. It's loud. It's annoying. It's distressing. But most importantly, it's meaningless, because it doesn't lead us anywhere since we can't understand or listen to anyone except ourselves. I'm Lisa Shermer, a journalist student from SPB Porto Alegre, and this is the third episode of Sounds of the Pandemic. I recorded this from my apartment window on March 23rd, while President Bolsonaro was speaking on TV. I live in the north side of Porto Alegre, in what's considered to be a middle-slash-high-class neighborhood, but it happened in many other cities around the country. The sounds you just heard have been produced by Brazilians for many years now, way before the word coronavirus began showing up on the news. But of course, the pandemic has made things worse and much noisier. Bolsonaro is a mass murderer, Bolsonaro is a legend, Bolsonaro's gotta go, Bolsonaro is a hero. All these sentences are shouted as political models throughout streets, rooftops, windows and cars every time the president gives a speech on TV talking about Brazil's situation regarding COVID-19. On March 22nd, the day I started editing this episode, there were 12 million registered cases of the disease in the country and over 200,090 deaths. Rio Grande do Sul, the state where I live, faced its worst moment in March of 2021 when almost 4,500 people died representing 26% of total deaths by COVID in the state since the pandemic started. That made the political authorities consider lockdowns in many cities, including Porto Alegre, the state's capital. And once again, the turmoil began. People sending videos on WhatsApp calling the governor, Eduardo Leite, a dictator, billboards spread around the city claiming for an immediate lockdown in capital letters, irrational fights on Facebook groups, no matter where you looked or what you read, every word sounded like a spoiled brat shrieking. Except in one area. This is the sound of research. Monotonous. Repetitive. Subtle. According to data collected and analyzed by Nature, scientists published well over 100,000 articles about the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. Topics varied from mental health to controlling the spread of the virus, but there was one that really stood out to me. It was published on March 5th of 2021 in scientific reports in Nature by four Brazilian scientists, all specializing in statistics, computer programming, and data science. They looked at whether the extent to which people stayed at home 
measured using Google mobility data, is associated with COVID mortality in different countries. The results were astonishing. I talked to Ricardo Savares, one of the authors, to know more about the study and its repercussion. Let me ask you first, what motivated you to write this piece? Oh, I, I had a lot of motivations to do this. I had to do a final thesis for my post-graduation course in big data and uh, machine learning at Unicinos. And so I decided to use both situations, the need to do a, a, a research and a very important topic as COVID. And besides, when they start to plot data on the computer, showing how much people are staying at home and the number of deaths that start to strike me because we have very high levels of people staying at home. And later on, we start to have cases of death. And then I start to question this you now after seeing the data. And uh, one thing that I found interesting also, you are a doctor. You're not like, oh, would you have graduation like in the statistics or any, you know, mathematical areas? Actually, as a professor, when we do our PhD, we need to, to study a lot of statistics. And I've been dealing a lot of stats. So I have a few postdocs that I work with big data in the U.S., so mathematics is not a alien concept for me. And I start to, to dig around. I always try to learn more and more about it. And it's a totally different world. But as a professor, I need to understand details and try to explain things through formulas to concepts mathematics. And when I reached a point that I, I saw that there was no way out, I started to seek help from different people. The first person I called was the guy from uh, New Zealand. I was doing a, um, a course on big data. He said he was not able to help. And then we, we started to go to another guy from UNC. He said also it was very hard and asked some statisticians here. They said it was very hard for them to work with uh, temporal analysis, which is very unique. So I started to go on until I found Dr. Guilherme Pumi, who is a professor in the statistics department, and gladly to know that his uh, specialty is time series. So we spend a lot of time talking and trying to drill the data and the tales to understand uh, the behavior of the data. And, and this is, was great. As I, I said to him, meeting him and discuss science with him was the best thing that happened to me in 2020. Just to confirm, you are a professor at URGIS. Exactly. Okay. And he is a professor at URGIS at, at what was the area you said? I'm sorry? is a statistician and applies statistician mathematics. Okay. Just to clarify, Unicinos and Urgis are two of the most distinguished universities in Rio Grande do Sul. Savaris is a postgraduate student at Unicinos and a professor at Urgis. And you are a professor at? OBGYN. Okay. So yeah, very different areas, but no, still. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's science, you know, when you, when you are a scientist, we have this, we always try to make questions about things. Everything's about the questions. Scientists are people that like to make questions and try to find ways to answer them. And you mentioned that you had, you know, this guy's help. Who else helped you or it was just him? 
Now, this is a team, okay? Dr. Rafael Kunz, he's the professor at this post-graduation course. He's the guy who's supposed to, to oversee all the part of computers. And he has a PhD student that is working with him, the Giovanni. I presented him what he was trying to do. You know, that's the thing, okay? That's the process that you are want to do. Now we're going to repeat this 7,000 times. That's why we start coding. And then he codes, then I try to I start to see the code. No, there's a problem here, and then we need to fix this. And he helped with all the, the coding thing. Then we have the data, we, we try to see if it was nice, and we try to polish things and double confirm things. Then I gave all the data to Guilherme Pumi to use another software to identify the significance of the comparisons and in a small set that we use, I perform for the third time the analysis. So we triple check the data to see if you're not making any, any mistake. In your study, I read all of it. I didn't understand all of it, you know, because statistics is not really my area. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, when I, I first started reading, I saw that you said that previous studies had, you know, a lot of issues, but what was the main issue that you saw in all these different studies, if there was like one main or basic one? And the thing about uh, mathematical models is that we assume things that will happen if we use this variable. Well, let's put this in a way as a, a soccer, Okay. Right? Okay, if we put the player here, Okay, and he kicks the ball to that direction, and that guy comes with, with the head and, and kick downsize the, the ball you enter and make goal. That's perfect, okay? That's the concept, right? But later on, we have the, the grass, the sweat, the wind, and have all these variables that we didn't put in the, in the account, and it didn't work. I put in my discussion, for instance, that the idea is we have the replication of the virus data size, let's say 3.0. If we perform lockdown, it's going to reduce to 0.8. And if you reduce the number, then less people will have the disease and that, therefore less people will die. So if you do this mathematical model, uh, if you do lockdown, we're going to save millions of people. And if you don't do this, we're going to have nine million people die up to April. Mm -hmm. Let's see the data. We don't have this. Okay. And, the, and and nobody takes any effort to question this. Because and, and this is something I, I see that people judge a book by the cover mm -hmm. instead of what is written inside. And we really don't want to be judged because it was published in a big journal. This paper actually it's been in a preprint mm -hmm. since October last year. We published this in October and there is no attention. But now it's, it's in a journal and people just cite the, the things. And, and our deep desire is people to read the paper, think about the, the, the data, question things. And the last 10 days, people have been accessing our data because we display everything. Right. You know, we display the code, we display the raw data, the analyzed data. People can browse everything there. So we, we were very transparent in our approach. And we really don't want to make this a big fuss. And the thing is, in statistics, when we say that we didn't find a difference in something, it doesn't mean they are equal. Right. 
this is a misconcept. We, we are trying to prove that it works uh, within the approval. Therefore, it doesn't work. No, it's, it's not the way you, we say in science. And uh, like to put it in a simpler way, what was your conclusion? We are not so sure that stay at home is responsible for reducing the number of deaths by COVID. There is more things to, to think about it and, and to, to dig. Now we need to make research, which is totally different than uh, social distance. One thing is social, social distance, another thing is stay home, save lives. And uh, we are not so sure about it. We still have questions. To quote the paper's conclusion, in approximately 98% of the comparisons using 87 different regions of the world, we found no evidence that the number of deaths is reduced by staying at home. I just realized I haven't told you the name of the study. Sorry about that. It's called Stay-at-Home Policies, a Case of Exception Fallacy, an Internet-Based Ecological Study. When I asked Savaris about its repercussion, he told me to check out metrics, a tool that complies information such as number of accesses, citations, and reposts of the study. Near 20,000 Twitter profiles shared the paper, including 2013 Nobel Prize winner Michael Levitt. It has over 280,000 accesses from people from all over the world. Japan, Germany, US, South Africa, UK, Brazil, of course, and so on. But I guess the most amazing metric is its ranking among all the research outputs Outmetric has tracked so far. It's in the top 5% of all research outputs ever tracked by the tool, ranked 72nd among over 17 million. People from Australia, few, some people from Sweden, Netherlands. And the nice part is I've been receiving emails mm-hmm. from different doctors just because I, I wrote something about time series. They think that I am the, an expert in this area. And I am not. No, I just had an idea how to, to present this, like the inclusion criteria, which is, that was new, how to make comparisons fair. And then after giving all this thought about it, Dr. Guilherme came and used the, his knowledge to develop the, the concept. And we debating this, we came out with an idea. You work at Hospital de Clinicas, which is a reference hospital here in our state. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you presented like your paper to, to the hospital or have you thought about it? You know, have you talked to anyone in the hospital about it? Uh, no, I think this is academic paper. Hospital, we have other priorities now. And everything is there. People want to see, people want to, to read and discuss. A lot of colleagues are coming to me and telling that it was very nice work, you know, well done, you know, it's receiving very good feedbacks. Some are giving some critics, they are welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, this is not perfect at all. But the whole idea is we are questioning things. People, well, we didn't find this way. Maybe we need to try another way to see if it worked. Here in our state, especially right now at this moment, you know, where we have like the reached the peak you know, of the pandemic, the lockdown measures you know, are being discussed. Have you ever considered or, you know, thought about talking to the governor or someone, you know, from the state or, or not? But now, when, when you produce a paper, 
is like a, a building block from a, a big construction, right? I, I don't have the big picture of everything. Right. And, and, I, I, and I know that the governor and as a like, a lot of experts there, they already had access to the paper, and uh, it is there. So the idea is to give some reference, some new uh, data for them to work with. They can use, they cannot use, and so our role as a professor at university is to present, generate data mm-hmm. for, for others to use it. And how they are going to use, interpret, it's up to them. And they said anything to you about the paper, like they congratulated you or they criticized it? Oh, the people from government? Yeah. No, I didn't have any contact with them. Thank you very much, then. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Questions. Like Savari said, this is what science is all about. My favorite part of this interview was when I asked him about their conclusion. His first words were, we are not sure lockdowns save lives. He already knew his study was being read and shared all over the world, but he remained humble about it. He left room for being questioned and criticized. I believe that if people, especially other scientists and doctors, had been more comfortable with sharing their uncertainties regarding COVID and its treatment, things would have been different in a lot of ways. Just because someone publishes an article saying that the best way to prevent COVID is through this or that based on this data, it doesn't mean they no longer can be contested and should be treated as ultimate experts in the matter. We can't be afraid to question these people. And most of all, we can't be afraid to question ourselves. So to all the Brazilians out there, before you go to the window or to the streets to loudly express your love or hate for the president, ask yourselves, What's the point of doing this? This episode was presented, produced, and edited by me, Luisa Shermer. I'd like to send special thanks to all the Brazilians who recorded the loud protests from their apartments and cars and posted on their social media. See you next time.